I have so enjoyed my time with you. It's, um, it's um, you know, even after all these years of me doing this kind of ministry and preaching, uh, I've still become somewhat anxious when I travel and anxious when I stand in front of crowds. I share that with you because I think it's important to hear that. Uh, it's not a sense of uh, uh, fear, the anxiety, but sometimes, you know, you, you, you stand in places like this wondering how God will use you and work. And um, the Lord always has to meet me where I'm at and remind me that He's in control. One of the phrases that I like to tell myself as I sit there, as I prepare to come forward, is God does the heavy lifting. Uh, by His Spirit, He does things that no man can do, no philosophy can do, no great preacher can accomplish, but only God can do through the power of His Spirit. Amen? And so I stand in that hope tonight that, again, he would do immeasurably more than what I can do. He would speak in ways that speaks to our hearts in ways that I cannot, and that this evening, again, we would hear from him. Have you not been blessed over the last week by, by the various musicians we've had who have poured out their ministry amongst us? Have you not been blessed by Renee Welch as she has sung? And then to all the people who make this work, because we come in and we just sit down, but there are people who clean up and people who fix things and people who put earpieces on my ear and the rest of these people who are doing a bunch of things. The first Sunday I was here, I broke one of your earpieces and I told them, please send me the bill. Uh, but there are so many people who go, uh, you know, behind the scenes in making these kinds of events happen. But there are also people who work tirelessly behind the scenes to serve the church. And I won't go about naming all of them, but before you applaud, I want to say to you as the community of faith that we also, we always need to be thankful for those whom God has called to minister, not only in the seen positions up front, but those who faithfully serve the Lord year after year after year so that this kind of ministry can take place. Without such people, the church will not be what it is. And we tonight stand and applaud those silent servers amongst us. Let us do that and give God grace. And would you stand? Amen. As you stand, I want you to turn to John chapter 5, and I'm going to read the Word of God, after which I will offer a word of prayer, and you may be seated. John chapter 5, reading from verse 1 through 14. Familiar passage of Scripture. Again, I invite you to try and hear through new ears, fresh ears, not presumptive ones. We've heard it before. <laughs> the Word of God is wonderful in how it can speak to us in different ways at different seasons of life. And this evening, again, we open ourselves to hear what the Word of God would say to us. John chapter 5 from verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. 
The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, the Lord forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is the fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The word of the Lord. Father God, we thank you this evening for your faithfulness to us. I thank you for the gentle reminder to my own soul and mind that you are the one who has the power to do that which I cannot. Yet I'm profoundly grateful tonight to stand behind this pulpit and to speak your word. I do so with the desire that Ultimately, your truth is spoken and that your grace and mercy will abound. I pray this evening that in a service that brings to a conclusion a series of revival meetings, uh, as Pastor Lisa has prayed, that it would not be the end of, but the beginning. The beginning of a life of transformed hope, joy, and peace in you. A life that bears witness to the mercy that has arrested our own hearts and lives. A life so profoundly affected by the grace of Jesus Christ that we, are no, we now know we will never be the same again. We ask that what commitments have been made, what confessions has been laid at the altar would stay there, and that we would rise into that which you have called us to live. By your grace, by your mercy, would you now again be faithful to your servant and to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Just before I share with you, and perhaps this evening, if you would allow me not to be as contextual or exegetical, but more personal in sharing this with you in more of a devotion-type format than I have done over the last few days, I think you'll be okay with that. I would like to just uh, show you, when I left here, what myself and my family looked like, and if I can have that picture up there, you'll see. Um, I don't remember the ages exactly, but they were little. And the next picture will show you uh, where we are today. Um, Lauren, as you can see, is taller than a mom, and Alana in the front with the flowers, and Luke. Uh, Luke has more fashion than I ever had in my life, uh, um, and so on. And then the next slide, if you will. Sorry for the self-indulgence, but some of you have asked. You said, you know, what do your kids look like? And here they are, so that is my family there. Yes. Thank you for applauding. <laughs> And then if you can go, um, I got to just pause on the slide for a second. Our dog, Ellie, has taught me a different measure of patience. You know, I thought my children would teach me patience, but my dog has taught me a lot of patience. But this is our children in our backyard. I also wanted to just show you some pictures from our building. This is when we started just at the beginning of this year, in the month of May. We started, we broke ground. This is the basement. Uh, if you keep going, there'll be more pictures. Uh, it's not the best rendition, but that's what we're building out in Skyview. Pray for us. Uh, we've owned this land for, uh, I think, about 18 years. And um, the, the city, uh, you know, and different people wanted to take this land at different times from us. But thanks be to God that we're in a season where we're able to build a church in this part of the city in which so many immigrant families are moving into. And so we see this as God's provision for us for this season. And as you see some of the other pictures there, I won't go through all of them. But uh, if you're ever in Calgary and you're looking for a church a half as good as Rosewood, come and visit us at Skyview. 
This evening, I want to talk to you about a subject that is perhaps a very difficult one to speak of. For as much as we believe and have faith to believe that God heals, we know that in certain seasons and for certain people, the request of their hearts and the desire through their faith is not met in the healing they desire. The Scripture is a complex one that speaks to this. It speaks of a man that has been an invalid for a long time. And it speaks of Jesus instantaneously healing him. I would offer to you this, more, this evening that such healing can and still happens in our world today. That I have borne witness to healing in the life of people and seen God do miraculous things that only he could do by his spirit. Many of us here this evening may not have seen such healing, and yet we sit here tonight hoping that perhaps it might be true for us. But I've also witnessed over the years of pastoral ministry that there are times where people request and call out for healing, but God does not choose to heal them in the way that they long to be healed. Does this mean that God does not care? Absolutely not. Does it mean that God's will is sometimes beyond our will? I offer you that that's the only thing I can rest my assurance and hope in. When I stood in front of the casket of uh, my parents, mom, dad, brother, and sister, I read from Romans 11:33 to 36. I was raised in a church in which we memorized scripture. I memorized most of my scripture in Afrikaans. So in English, it's a bonus if I remember what it says. But if you remember Romans 11:33 to 36, it talks about the depth and the riches and the wisdom of God, how unsearchable his ways, and his paths beyond tracing out. And it speaks something like this. Who has ever given to God that God owes them anything in return? Who has been his counselor? Who has advised him? And then the apostle Paul resolves in these words, but to him and through him and from him are all things. As I stood in front of the caskets of four people that I loved dearly and loved me dearly, the only hope I had was to rest my hope in the one who knew more than I did, the one who held more in his hands than I could ever, and the one that in many ways remains a mystery beyond my comprehension, but he is still God. So when I speak to you tonight, I speak not as one, who is free from the same complexity of life that you and I live, but one who has honestly journeyed with the Savior who offers me healing in the present that can transform my life. Some of you may not know this, but for 18 years of my life, I suffered from a degenerative disc disease. I was playing soccer one day. I was really good. <laughs> I can say that because none of you saw me play. I was phenomenal. Uh, I was playing, and, and a guy was coming up, and, and it, the worst thing to do for a soccer player, someone who can't play soccer, is to play with people who can't play soccer. That's where you get hurt. And I, I had the ball, and, and, and I passed him quite easily, and he just ran right in the back with his knee, and I went down, and I knew something was wrong. Since that injury, I had, you know, severe pain, and a chronic condition developed. Uh, the only way that they could treat it was for me to go into the hospital, and for me to be put on morphine. Uh, it became so bad about four years ago that when I went into the emergency again, crawling, literally crawling into emergency, uh, the doctor said to me as he looked at my file, he said, you know, Stu, he says, uh, um, you know, I'm going to recommend surgery, and I think you should see a spinal specialist. I went to the spinal specialist. Uh, the specialist happened to be at South African. South African doctors, I find, are tough, man. You know, you can say you have pain, and they're like, no, 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 you don't know what pain is, you know. You don't need medication, you know. You'll be okay. Your arm can be broken, but that's okay. You know, just take a bandage, and you'll be fine. And so I spoke to him, trying to convince him of how serious this is, and he looked at the MRI results, and he said to me, I can see that you're in an incredible amount of pain. 
He said, uh, I know you're an incredible amount of pain. He says, but your age, and this is what I loved about the doctor, he thought I was young. He said, you know, you're a young man. <laughs> Thanks be to God. <laughs> and uh, he said to me, uh, I, I don't think we want you to, to, to do this. I don't want, I wouldn't recommend you do the surgery. Here's what I'm going to recommend is you go and see a good physiotherapist and you try to lose some pounds. Over the next year, uh, that was going to be the plan. I went camping with my family, and there's a spiritual edge to this for those of you getting concerned that I'm just telling stories. I uh, went camping with my family. I got to tell you how I honestly feel about camping. If you enjoy dirt in your food and in your mouth, <laughs> go camping. If you enjoy sleeping on the ground and waking up with creeks in parts of your body you didn't even know you could get creeks in, go camping. Camping for me is torture, but for my kids, it's a gift, it's a blessing, it's a joy. So I do it. I went with my wife, I'm sitting in a camping chair, and uh, the words of this particular scripture comes to mind. Many years ago, I was sitting at a conference, in a conference, and the pastor was preaching on this particular text, and what stuck with me was the question, do you want to get well? As I sat in a camping chair, which my spinal surgeon told me never to do, uh, I started to feel the pain uh, kind of radiate down my back. Anybody who had sciatic pain, you understand what I'm talking about. As I sat in this chair and the sciatic pain started to kind of radiate down my right leg, I started to talk to the Lord. Now, I would like to say to you that I'm the kind of spiritual pastor that gets incredible insights and visions from God. But I'm rather dull. God has to really do a lot to get my attention sometime. I sensed in this moment that it was a quiet time with him, and so I launched some questions at him. I said, God, you know the pain I've been in. You know how much more I could do if I didn't have this problem. <laughs> uh, I don't understand why you won't take this problem away. And then came the question again, do you want to get well? Of course, I said, I'm thinking all this, of course I want to get well. Why wouldn't I want to get well? Obvious question, obvious answer, yes, I want to get well. But as I sit there, I said, Lord, but what do I do? How's this going to work, you know? Uh, and I thought about the story, and I thought about what happened in the text, and I was kind of hoping that maybe somehow miraculously it was going to happen for me. And all that I saw, hi, <laughs> girls, are you waving at me or past me? I don't know. <laughs> They're going to remember this service for the rest of their life. And... Uh, I, I, I sat there and I said to myself, you're going to have to help me, Lord, because I really don't know what the next step's going to look like. As I turned to the scripture and I looked at it, it said, you know, Jesus said, get up and walk. So I said, okay, I'm going to get up and walk. So I got up of my camp chair. <laughs> I started walking through the camp. Now, I know what you're all expecting. Doves flew and descended on me. The Holy Spirit lifted me off the ground. <laughs> I started to run. No, none of that happened. It was the sense of just a, a willful obedience and hope. I walked through the campground for several minutes. I don't know, perhaps even close to an hour. And as I walked through, I noticed everything. The wind was blowing through the trees and the birds were chirping. The rest of the camp trip went rather, uh, you know, seamlessly. And, and there was no big revelation. I got home and the word came back to me, get up and walk. I responded, now you're going to be surprised at how spiritual a simple, ordinary act of obedience can be. And I did that. I started to walk every day. Now, they say when you have back problems like I do, you can't run. High impact will hurt your back. Any back problem people here? You didn't know you're coming for therapy tonight, but it's free of charge. 
And so I went to the gym and I just got an elliptical. And every day I was on the elliptical. I hated it so much. I'm like an hour of useless walking. I'm not getting anywhere, but I'm walking. And I said, Lord, I'm just going to trust you that, that, that as I take a step, one step at a time, that I'm going to get to where you want me to be. I'm going to respond to your offer. And over the course of several months, I dropped a lot of pounds, saw my physiotherapist several times a week, and I haven't had a problem with my back for two years. Now... Now, I say that to you to say this. Kevin, 48 years old, addicted to alcohol, comes into my office one day. I've been counseling for three years. You know the pattern of life. I beat it. I get into a relationship. Something goes wrong. And I'm back where I started. I'd walked with Kevin now several seasons like this. I used to see him only when he was in crisis. When things went well, he was gone. Kevin sits in front of me, and he says, this is it. I'm giving up. I sat there. I talked to him about the Bible in many ways. I shared so many different scriptures. I prayed with him. We'd have uh, intense moments of conversation he never committed his life to the Lord, and I kept on challenging him to that end. And then, in desperation, I shared with him my story of healing. And I said to him, Kevin, I don't know about you. I said, but I got to the point where I said, Lord, all I need to know is what the next step is. And I said, today, you can start taking that step. I don't know what it would mean for you, but today you can, and I testify to God's healing in my life. Kevin left that day, what I didn't know was that I had taken all the funds he had out of his bank account, and he was intending that very day to buy as much liquor as he could and to end his life. I met him a month later, sober. Two months later, sober. We started to meet weekly. We prayed together. I started to teach him the parables. I'll never forget when I taught him the parable of the lost son. His eyes went this big, and he said, the story of my life is in the Bible. We met, and we met, and we met, and months turned to a year. He's close to three years sober today. When he testifies about what happened that changed his life, he references this particular story. And in particular, he said to me, in that very moment where in my mind, I just came to see if there was any hope that you could offer me that could change my life. And doubting that you would offer me any hope, I was about to give up and about to end my life, and then you reminded me what God had done for you, and I took one step that day to not do what I was planning to do, and since that day, I've had to walk every day, one step at a time, until I find myself where I am today. I share these stories with you because I think that our text is a story like this. It's an invitation to take a step, a step towards healing and hope. The surprising invitation that I experienced when the Lord spoke to me in my camp chair was just the beginning of healing in my life. Many of you know that I grew up in racially segregated South Africa. 
I shared very much, very candidly about you, about the impact of racism upon my own psyche and my relationships. There was many parts of my life that was in need of healing. When Christ invited me to take a step, it would be the beginning of many steps into many areas of healing within me. You see, the gift of walking healthily with Christ is that you can help and encourage others to do the same. And yet, there's so many hindrances to health that we experience. In the particular text, and if you would let me do it this way tonight, and that's okay because I leave tomorrow, so you can be upset and it'll be okay. Write your complaints to Pastor Lisa. <laughs> Is that when Jesus approaches a man who had been an invalid for 38 years, here's a man who had seen life very differently for a long time. When you suffer in pain for years and years and years, it can affect how you look at life. He had noted that the only source of his potential healing and transformation was a pool, a pool that was believed to be stirred by the angels themselves, and at the stirring of the pool, whoever got in first would be healed. His focus is on that pool. You see that in the text? He wants to get into that pool. But you see, when you lay at a pool, according to the scripture, five covered colonnades simply means this. People try to kind of take that and make it all kinds of analogies about the five. This is what it literally means. It was a massive place. There were many, many sick people there. There was enough room for a whole city of hopeless, helpless, sick, invalidic people. They're all there. When you're around so many people, there's hardly anybody able to discern that you may need help because their needs are so prevalent. And so when Jesus comes, are you with me here? When Jesus comes to a man laying in a place where no one can really help him and he's waiting for help, it's kind of a, it's kind of a lost situation. When Jesus says, do you want to get well? He can't hear that question because his emphasis is on the pool and the people who won't help him. You know what I found in my own life? That my healing was delayed significantly because the emphasis and the points to which I was looking was not directing me towards the hope of Christ. You know what I found about my own experience in healing is that the actions of people can often keep me from seeing the hope in Christ. That when we focus on what others do and why they do it and get into all that kind of thinking, if they just could do the right thing, then I can experience what I need to experience. We have placed our hope in Christians, in people who can never live up to what Jesus can do. And so this man, he hears the question, but he doesn't. You see, perhaps he heard it this way. Here's another stranger asking me an obvious question, or here is someone asking me whether I need help into the pool, and all I want him to understand is the reason I'm not healed is because others get ahead of me. People, people, people. I often say I'd be the best Christian in the world if I didn't have to do it with Christians. You laugh nervously. People, people, people. You know, if... if, 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 if you don't get it, Jesus. Do I want to get well? Let me explain it to you. I'll break it down simply, and I'll speak slowly. Other people are getting ahead of me. And when this war is stirred, there is no one who's out to help me. Everybody is in it for themselves. Have you ever felt that way? 
You know, when you are experiencing the kind of pain like he has for 38 years, life looks different from the flat of your back. You know, people become... Oh, can you imagine what's going on in his heart? What selfish people this is. Can you imagine the psychology and the impact on his own perspective of other people that year after year, stirring after stirring, he doesn't make it in, he doesn't make it in, he doesn't make it in. Oh, the the, the lack of trust, the hopelessness that starts to well up. 38 years of being in this condition and no one is looking out for me. No one is here for me. I'm here to say to you, my friends, apart I did its work on me. I got to be honest with you. It messed me up. I'd like to preach against racism, but I have to be confessional and say to you that I became racist because of racism. That's what it does. It creates prejudice in you, deep within you, deep wounds of insecurity within your life. I can be very honest with you and tell you I've struggled in different areas that I should never have struggled in because of what others have done. I have reason to hold grudges against people. So do many of you here. The man who drove drunk and drove into my family vehicle after they were coming from a Sunday service killing my 17-year-old brother, my 11-year-old sister, my 47-year-old mom, and my 49-year-old dad walked away from that accident unharmed. And to this day, I don't know what has happened to him. You see, deep within my heart, I'm being very transparent with you. I can hold on to those things and say, oh dear God, people, people, people. But they do not hold the hope for healing that I long for. If I focus on them, I don't focus on Christ. And I do not see the invitation for what it is. Do you want me to heal you? Do you want me to restore you? Do you want me to do for you what no one else can do? You will only hear the invitation the moment you take your eyes and your gaze off the actions of other peoples and other sources of help. People turn to all kinds of pools today. People turn to all kinds of places with the hope that it will give them what they need. We can name them in our culture, but there is only one who has living water. There is only one who can break down the barriers within us. There is only one who can make the lame walk. There is only one who can make the blind see. There's only ever been one who can change lives and bring hope. It is Jesus Christ. And tonight in this service, he says, do you want to get well? You see, my healing started this way, as an invitation for a back to be healed. In the greatest scheme of illnesses here, my back pales in comparison. There's some amongst us dealing with far more serious illnesses than degenerative disc disease. I do not preach this message easily tonight. This is not just good theology and a good message so that I can say, hey, I preached okay. This is life-touching faith. This is real experience. This is what people struggle with. This is what true life is like. People will always keep us from seeing who Christ is if we will let them. People will always get in the way of his hope and his touch in our lives if we will let him. Listen, if you look to others to do for you what only Christ can do, you put an unfair expectation on them. You know why? Because others are ill too. Others are in need too. There are many people who have brokenness. They're looking, they're looking, they're searching. They don't have time to help you because they can't help you. They too themselves need the Savior. You're looking for help in the wrong place when he has always stood and invited us 
to be well because he is able. He is able. He is able. We know that the text teaches us that despite the man's inability to recognize the invitation, that Jesus just goes ahead and blesses him with healing. I want to speak tonight about this false theology that we often adopt. You know, it's easy to preach a message like this and and to put all the emphasis on our ability, but I want you to know that despite the man's misguided attention, Jesus still interrupts his life with a wonderful blessing. <laughs> Sometimes we put so much that on ourselves, you know, we got we to gotta get it all right. I want to tell you something about this wonderful Jesus. He knows what the boundaries are. He knows your hurt. He knows your suffering. He knows who's done it. He understands where you're coming from. And he's saying to you, if you believe me, I will do it for you. I will do what you've longed for for many years. You know, I, I, I have found in the church that, uh, is this okay? Are we okay right now, tonight? Yeah, yeah you're going to come back to church on Sunday, okay? <laughs> you know, it, 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 there, there's, there's some of us who have had stuff in our life for so long that we, right has become wrong and wrong has become right. Uh, we, we can't let people in because we've become distrusting. Some of us have been in bondage like this man, perhaps not for 38 years. By the way, this is an interesting note. I read this in a commentary, not my own thoughts. But, but it said that the average age of the male in that particular centuries was around that age, 30, 35. So this is an old man by comparison. You know, th there's a sense in which this guy all his life has struggled, has struggled, has struggled, has struggled, has been in this position. How long has it been for you? How long have you longed for healing? How long have you longed for a transformation? Something that is different than just the temporary fix, the temporary high. The temporary response to that which is deeply, 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 deeply in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is not just offering this man assistance into the pool, as he may have heard, but he's offering himself as his very source of healing. The focus of looking to others for help, I think, is something that has misled many. Some of us are despairing. And tonight... The best I can offer you as a pastor is the hope that Jesus meets you here with the same invitation that he's made to me. What is it going to take to have faith to believe that he's able to heal you? That he's able to take that which is wrong within your life tonight and make it healthy? I thought it was just a back, but God had to deal with some deep emotional hurt, prejudice, pain, and brokenness. I want to testify tonight to the healing touch of Jesus Christ. I want to testify tonight that he's done something so profoundly deep within my heart <laughs> that I can truly say I've come to love the other. I've come to find it within my own heart to instead of hate find wise to reconcile. I've not always been successful 
Have you ever noticed that even if you want to make things right, somebody else may not want to make things right? Yeah. You know? So if the motivation is, is that they would make things right with you, you're always going to not do it. But if the motivation is, I want to live with the grace and the hope of Jesus Christ to live a restored life, to live a healthy life, then tonight Jesus is inviting you to take a step. If you're like me, you're saying, Stu, I've heard a lot of messages. I have a lot of, a lot of preachers. Um, I, I, I understand a lot about the Bible and how God works. And we have the symbol of the oil here tonight, the symbol of the oil symbolizing the presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit. We as the church have this funny way of approaching these kinds of situations. We believe that if we act as the way the Bible told us to act, that somehow God does profound things through it. We're going to invite you in just a few moments to respond to the question, do you want to be well? Perhaps you've come for a particular form of healing, but I want to suggest to you that God may want to heal something completely different that you even haven't realized that you need healing from. You see, I'm more convinced that God would sometimes allow suffering in some parts of our life because the true pain, the true death, the true hurt that he wants to address, we'd rather not have him address. This kind of message is only one I can preach today because I'm living in the truth of it. And the church becomes a liberated church, a church of hope a church of power when we hear Jesus. You know, there's an old song that says something like this, turn your eyes upon Jesus. It doesn't say turn your eyes upon Pastor Stu, although I'm sometimes vain and like to be looked at. <laughs> it doesn't say turn your eyes upon a specific denomination or another person or another preacher or another podcast. The song has good theology. Not all hymns do and neither do choruses, but this one does. It says to us that when we begin to look to Jesus Christ and we slow down and listen to what he is offering, that we would find in him what we've always hoped for, a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we think or ask. So as I close... Where are we looking for healing that is bringing no hope? What are we turning to to fill the void to bring the wholeness? The man viewed the pool as the source of healing, and sometimes we look toward other people or things to bring us the wholeness we long for. Let me put it to you very bluntly. I've said it several times, but let me repeat it. Men cannot do what God can do. Some of us tonight may have to take a first step, a very practical step of faith, one that we have not taken before. They say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. For some of us, that first step has to be one of faith. It may not even be what you expect, but tonight as you pray, as you see God's face, may he lay on your heart that first step, that one step towards the hope and healing that he has for you. And then finally, some of us 
need to take our eyes off that person, that person who has deeply hurt us, that person who has deeply disappointed us, that person that has received the blame in our mind for years and years for the situation we find ourselves in, that person that could never offer us what we've looked for all these years, and that is the hope we find in Christ. This evening, will you come? Will you be prayed for? Will you trust that by God's Holy Spirit, He can do something in your life that you desperately need? And may you be able to have the faith and the courage to walk out of here a whole person. I invite our pastors, and Pastor Lisa, Lisa's going to come and lead us in this next part. But I invite our pastors who are present here and who have been asked to be a part of this ministry of healing to come forward. Take your places. And I invite you now to bow your heads with me as I pray. The question Jesus poses to us is, do you want to get well? Father, help us this evening to hear your voice and not the voice of others. Help us this evening to hear your voice and not the voice of doubt or fear. Help us this evening to hear that which you are inviting us into and to be able to respond in sincerity and in faith. And tonight, may we see healing in the lives of many. We believe tonight that you are able to heal the physical. You are able to heal the emotional. You are able to re restore relationships. And you are able to bring hope. May your church be astounded again at the one who is able to do this for us. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen.